Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, fellow entrepreneurs, business owners, ladies and gentlemen, whoever you are. Thank you so much for listening to another Get Genius episode. Today, I am speaking with Charles Paleski, and he is the founder of Spark Shipping, which is a dropship e-commerce automation company doing all sorts of cool things. We're going to talk about what it's like to have an idea for software and then have it developed what it's like to grow and scale your e-commerce business. We'll talk about how automation can actually cure some of those business growing pains, especially in the e-commerce world. What it's like to go from retail to e-commerce and what are some of the issues that people are having that causes them to seek out a company like Spark Shipping. We'll talk about some things that Charles does himself to learn about his customers and not so much what they want, but what it is that they really need and why. He got his start in e-commerce when he first purchased a site that sold popcorn. And you'll hear a little bit more about that story, but essentially he was like Bubba from Forrest Gump, but with popcorn instead of shrimp. And this was at the time when he found that he needed to automate parts of that business. And so that need inspired him to create Spark Shipping. And Spark Shipping, it's the leading dropship software, which automates millions upon millions of orders for e-commerce and retail entrepreneurs every month. So we'll talk about if you are in this business, how do you know that you're ready for this? We'll talk about all that kind of stuff. And what are some of those growing pains? He actually shifted my perspective on some things. It was, it was very, very true. So I'm not even, I'm not even going to give it away. I'm just going to have you listen out for it. But super cool guy, really great accent. Love his accent, obviously from the East Coast. I love East Coasters. Anyway, enjoy the interview. You're going to love it. Have a beautiful day. Hi, Charles. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, it's great to be here. You are an expert in e-commerce, so we're definitely going to touch on a lot of that. But you also have a lot of other things that I think are really pertinent to our listeners. So before we get into that, can you tell us how you got started? It sounds like from what I know about you, you were an entrepreneur at a young age. Yeah, so I mean... I guess to start off, I'm the founder of Spark Shipping. Spark Shipping itself started about three years ago now as its own kind of full-time focus of what we do. Before that, I was actually kind of doing some just general consulting, building different sort of application level stuff, different industries, web, all sorts of different things. Somewhere along the way, I purchased a small e-commerce site and basically needed automation for that site. So, you know, I was communicating with different vendors, manufacturers, that sort of thing. Kind of every day I had to send them orders, pull back some tracking data. It was just a big pain to do. So I ended up building a small, at the time it was just called the, the automation tool, to basically connect with them. Over time, it was kind of built up. I started to realize, okay, there's something of value here. Other folks were asking for it. I had some other people I knew kind of through consulting started to use it. So at some point, we ended the consulting and then focused on this full time. So that was about three years ago. That's been what we do. Before that... You have a fun story. You purchased a site that sold popcorn. Yeah, so that was the, the e-commerce site one day. I don't know where the, uh, the rationale for that one was. <laughs> Doing consulting and somewhere along the way, I said, okay, I want to get more into the product side, less than the consulting, and wanted to kind of get something in that direction. So I decided 
So buy an e-commerce site. And somehow Popcorn was the uh, thing I decided to <laughs> purchase. It was a small site at the time. It did okay. You know, but out of that is what I kind of learned. Okay, this is some of the stuff in e-commerce. So after running that for a while, I kind of learned a bit about e-commerce through that. I feel like businesses today, startups, they're either, you know, they're either going to fail pretty quickly or they're having rapid growth. And there's a lot of growing pains going through all this. And you have to, it's almost like you have to have a new level of skill set every year, you know, as, as quickly as your business is growing. And today we live in this world with so much technology and so many things that enable us to automate so many things in our business. So if you can, you know, just talk to us about why automation is so important and what are some of the things that can be automated that they might not be thinking of? Sure. You know, it's funny you say the thing about businesses that kind of start very quickly or fail very quickly. I always feel like those are the stories you hear most often. But then when I start really talking to folks like myself that kind of have built something over time, there's a lot of people who, you know, they're not the, the Dropbox of the world that, you know, kind of go up into the right and 100 million users a month three. You hear about the people that were the spectacular failure, you know, raised X amount of VC money and kind of failed in this very grand way. But there's a lot of people in between that kind of build something of value and are running it. And I feel like those stories like mine, you just don't hear them as often just because they don't make great headlines. Oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I always, <laughs> I always find it interesting how little you hear people who were doing something, build a product, customers use it, definitely helps people and people making a full-time living off this. And you know, people are employed and everyone's kind of doing it. You hear these stories where people, you know, hired a thousand people sort of thing or had to do a, you know, a huge layoff. But you don't hear that in between that happens all the time. You hear about the MySpaces but, and you hear about the Dropboxes, but you don't hear about everything in between the two, which is interesting. So it's kind of like uh, movie stars. You know, you hear the overnight success, but you don't know what led up to that. Or you hear, you know, they were a one hit wonder and that's it. They just disappeared. And you hear about the failure. <laughs> but you're right. There's there's so many that have had this like steady career or doing other things. And that's that's a very valid point. Yeah. And there's a lot of companies that, you know, I don't know if Sparks will be the next Dropbox where, you know, you can go and tell, you know, everyone knows about it. And it's one of those things. It's probably not that. We work with a specific type of business owner. We automate a very specific process. And if you're that person and you have that issue. It's fantastic, but it's not going to be like a household name. Well, and I think a lot of our, our listeners have that as well. You know, you know what I mean? We have businesses that might not be in the headlines, like you said, but they are thriving businesses and they are, you know, successful. They actually are worth hearing those stories. Yeah. And it's great to have stuff like this where people actually kind of talk about, because I think a lot of people, you know, they read the headlines of the big companies like, you know, Uber and Lyft. And you kind of just miss and realize there's a lot of stuff in between that you don't need to be the next Uber um, to be successful. There's, a, there's the, you know, the Fortune 1 million out there that is kind of what is business um, and isn't, you know, the big headlines of Silicon Valley raising 100 million. Complete tangent, but I just kind of thought that was kind of interesting. No, I'm glad. I love it. I'm glad we addressed that. <laughs> yeah. So how does automation help? I mean, what we do specifically is automate a very specific workflow in an e-commerce owner's day, basically. So if you have an e-commerce business, you're most likely not, and a lot of people actually, if you're not in e-commerce, don't kind of know this, but when you buy something from a website, most likely there's not a person sitting behind that and they have that product like in back of them and they just kind of reach over, you know, write a label with UPS, pop it on the pa package and off it goes. What's usually happening is that order is submitted and it goes somewhere else. So whether that's a manufacturer, a distributor, internal warehouse, a 
3PL, third party logistics company. There's all sorts of places where orders are filled. And as an end user, you don't see that. You don't know they exist. The e-commerce business needs to somehow get the order data to those folks. And then those are the people who actually send the order a lot of times. And like I said, it could even be their own internal warehouse. They get that. They send the order out. That data needs to be pulled back into, let's say, Shopify or Big Commerce or you know, whatever platform they're using. And then kind of the, the end user, the buyer, is actually notified from there. So we automate that in between of orders and tracking, and basically the communications with that vendor. And that's kind of where we fit into that whole puzzle. And it's one of those things that if you're an e-commerce business owner, it's something you have to do every day as orders come in as quick as possible, but it's very uh, monotonous. And you have to do it exactly like the vendor tells you. Every vendor has a different format, a different way of doing things. So it's something, you know, it's a low-hanging fruit to get off your plate as a business owner, but it also spe- it frees up a lot of time because it's something that you have to do and you should always be doing. And if an order comes in on, you know, Friday night at 11 p.m., you're most likely not sending it to the vendor right then and there. But, you know, if you wait till Monday to send it, usually with these vendors, um, it's not just your stock, it's kind of mixed. So kind of, you know, first in, first out. If you get the order in, they're, they're going to send it out first on Monday. So if you get it in Friday at 8 p.m. and you wait till Monday at 8 a.m. to send the vendor the order, that stock might be gone already. It might be sold to someone else. So the faster an owner gets them in, kind of the better off all of them. So that's where we kind of fit in in the automation world. And what kind of businesses are you working with? I mean, typically e-commerce businesses that, you know, once you get to the point of you have enough orders where it makes sense to actually kind of invest in a system like this, usually if you're just starting off, honestly, you don't, there's not much to automate. If you get, you know, just got your first order, you can a lot of times send it by hand. You can send an email to the vendor. You can manually just key it in. So usually kind of the folks at the beginning get started, get started off on their own. But there's a point where you're getting tens and then hundreds and then thousands of orders per day where you, know, you could have a team of, we've had, we've had um, users have teams of two or three people doing this and we're able to come in and basically automate that entire process. So it really, once you start scaling up with the number of orders, you'll start taking half hour a day, an hour, two hours, and it'll just start compounding as you kind of grow. And that'll become like the bottleneck of your business. So that's where we kind of come in. So there's two things I'm thinking of, you know, there's the business owner that has a retail storefront, you know, and they want to bring that to become an e-commerce business. What are ways that they can do that? And then how do they actually grow that and and scale it? Because some might not do it just because like, I don't even know how to bring it to the point where I'm going to get that many orders. You know, if you're doing retail, obviously shelf space is limited. You have to be very selective about, you know, you just can't go and buy everything from you know, a distributor, right? Because they might have 200,000 SKUs, you're doing retail, your store isn't large enough. But in the e-commerce world, you can actually list all 200,000 of them if you want, or once it makes sense for your business, right? But you can list a lot more. And then a lot of people, I don't know, dropshipping is a, you know, the hot new word, but it's been around for quite a few years. But basically it's when you send an order fulfillment request directly to a vendor and the vendor itself ships out the order from their location. So you never have to touch the product. So we see a lot of like retail stores doing, they carry their, you know, top 100 SKUs, that sort of thing in-house, but they also run a, a website where they might list, you know, thousands of SKUs. They internally fulfill their top, you know, 100 products. They're their own little vendor, basically. They get an order. It's for their, you know, number one seller. They have it locally. They, you know, they buy them. They keep them on hand. They can fulfill them right out of their location. But let's say you buy some extremely, you know, rare one-off thing product that can be sent directly to the manufacturer so that the retailer never has to actually buy the inventory or touch that product. So we see a lot of retailers doing stuff like that to really kind of 
help uh, expand their product line. How does a business know, like, you know, I'm ready to implement this automation? Is the number different for everyone? Or is it like, okay, once you've reached this size of of a company, this is when you want to do it? Or is it, we're just, we don't have enough people to fulfill these orders? Like, what what are the reasons that somebody would say, okay, we need to automate this and we need to take it off of our day-to-day plate. Yeah. I mean, I'd say as soon as that's just becoming a line item, as soon as sending orders to vendors becomes a line item on your day-to-day place, it's mm-hmm. probably at least time to start evaluating, you know, is this the best use of my time? Right. Right. There's folks all the time who just out of their business, they actually have no orders yet and they're trying to automate and you can, and you know, we've had users that have like a, a very large following maybe on let's say social media where they know once they launch the site, they'll instantly get orders. So there's some use cases like that. But for the average person who's kind of just starting off first time in e-commerce, I usually say, wait till you actually have some orders. And it is a line item on your day to day. And you're saying, OK, every day at you know 3.30, I'm going to spend an hour and a half sending orders to vendors. Once you start, <laughs> once that starts happening, you should probably find a solution like Spark Shipping or some way to automate it. What are some other things in your business that you have automated that you saw a need for and implemented? I mean, it depends how you approach automation, right? Because... There's also, you know, hiring, right? Where as kind of when you first set off, not a lot of people you know that are kind of bootstrapping their way, self-funding it. They are the person doing everything. So, you know, whether it's development, answering support emails, that sort of thing. And as you kind of go, you start, I don't know if the best term is automating, but you start hiring for specific roles. And that's been something, you know, I've been able to do and that kind of helps grow the business. So having, you know, a full-time support person, full-time developer, we do some video content, so having a video editor and all things like that have helped. I don't know if it's automation per se, but helped, um, you know, take some of those daily line items on. OK, every day from this time to this time will be support time every time. And once that's becoming that, you have to kind of say, OK, is this is this what I should be doing or is this time to start looking for someone else to come in here and help? Right. And whether that's a hiring a full time employee or having a service provider, like, you know, Spark shipping, it just kind of it depends on the specific task. Right. Because I think initially with. It's probably a good question. Initially with Spark Shipping, I think I actually had a VA sending the orders at some point. Yeah. So it'd be, right? So it went from, okay, me doing this, and I was sitting there every day doing it, saying, okay, well, I can at least get a VA. Then I realized, okay, well, they're doing it only like a couple times a day, and that's helping, but orders are coming in now, like all throughout the day. And once that's going up of like hundreds of orders, now you're saying, okay, this orders are, they're missing like the UPS cutoff time at a vendor. So let's say with a distributor, Every order that comes in before 2 p.m. each day gets sent out. And we're getting orders at 1.30, but the VA, you know, hasn't come back from lunch yet or whatever, and they might not get sent till 4. So those orders get pushed the next day. So that's when I started saying, okay, there has to be a better way of doing this. So it did start off actually using, you know, a VA to automate the uh, process. And it just became, it kind of grew more than that and started saying, okay, I could hire, you know, two or three VAs and have like a <laughs> full-time staff of people to do this. Or, you know, is there a service provider that can help with this? It kind of depends on a case-by-case task basis, I would say. I feel like it's a question you always should be asking yourself because especially as, you know, an entrepreneur or founder of a company, it's you're doing all of these things that you believe you are the one who should be doing it. And then, of course, as you grow, more things get on your plate and it, it often has to reach like a pretty hardcore pain point or, you know, that, oh my gosh, I don't have time for any of this stuff anymore for you to finally look for help and and hire someone out. I've noticed that, that it takes 
or at least at least amongst entrepreneurs that I know, it takes in the beginning of your business, it takes a while for you to trust that you can hire out for those things. It's like a control thing that you need to let go of. Yeah. And I think it's, it's definitely a muscle that kind of gets better over time, right? Where as you start learning to, okay, there's specific things that can be delegated outside for. And as you kind of start finding the right people and you get better at that, it becomes easier to do. Um, but that, like you said, the very first time you do that, there's a big hurdle across, right? And it's also kind of confusing on like where to draw the line of, okay, you know, you as the entrepreneur are doing a thousand different tasks, but you know, you can't just hire someone to say, okay, just do all thousand of them. And you know, I'll <laughs> kick back on the beach and drink a pina colada sort of thing. Right. So that's not reasonable. So you need to figure out, okay, what's the specific role I'm hiring for here? And, you know, where to draw that distinction on, okay, I need a support person. Do they answer the phone? Do they answer emails? Where does that stop also? Do they do a little light sales or where exactly do you draw that line? So that's always not so clear also because you're doing a thousand different things every day. So, you know, where do you start making roles up for other individuals as well? It's a good question, too. Yeah. And one of the things that I've done, and I I may have talked about it on the podcast before, is, you know, taking an account for maybe doing it for a week or even a month and writing down all the things that you are doing each day. And this is like one of my favorite time management tools. I'm such a time management, like productivity geek. But, you know, it's like, what are all the things that I definitely am the one who should be doing and that I actually really enjoy doing and love doing within my business. And then you start to see when you really write down everything, you start to see that there are a ton of things that you're doing that really somebody else can totally easily be doing. And if they, if that time was off your hands and somebody else were handling those things, you would have all this time to do more of the things that you really love within your business. And it's true, like you were saying early on, it is a muscle because I remember like how long ago, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever. It was so hard to find somebody or when people say you should hire somebody for that. It was like, oh no, no way. I can't (laughs) trust anybody else to do that. I have to be the one to do this. I know how it needs to be done. And it's so funny that you, you obviously, you can't grow by being the one person that does everything, but now it's almost to the point where it's like, as soon as, you know, there's a new project or something that we're going to be doing within our business, I'm immediately thinking of who am I outsourcing X, Y, and Z to, I, you know, I'm going to oversee this and all that, but I have these people in mind that I know are going to rock it and be awesome to, to help with that. And it's such a good feeling because you become way more productive by trusting other people. And um, it's the same with, you know, automation with so many different areas. There's so many things today that and services like yours that people can use to automate and to free up that time. Yeah. I mean, well, and it's one of those things to consider. And we get this a lot, kind of a whole build versus buy. We see a lot of folks, they come to us and they've already kind of built an in-house system. So it is another thing to consider. People are kind of building tools internally to automate certain processes, right? And kind of the consideration people may not take in ahead of time is, is this somebody else who's already built this? We just get this cheaper off the shelf. Should we be the ones building this? We see a lot of e-commerce store owners hiring a developer and having their own little, you know, development project running integrations. And then, you know, they come to us after, you know, a year of doing this and say, yeah, it might not have been the best use of my time as an e-commerce store owner to be running a small dev team. Where that's just not. (laughs) So we do see it go the other way of people, you know, hiring, almost trying to build too much internally and realize like there's vendors that can just, a vendor being like a, a software vendor, they can just do this for us that I don't have to become a, 
you know, a project manager, a development team that I don't even know anything about software and how I'm, now I run, I have this extra server that runs this process. And we, you know, definitely talk to store owners that have this. And all of a sudden they've built this giant beast internally that they know, they realized that probably wasn't the best use of the time. So we've seen that as well. And just folks that kind of talked to us and said, yes, wish we found you sooner. And, you know, we didn't even have to hire someone, we realize there are service providers out there that can just do this for us. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's great to have, you know, someone like you who is an expert in just that. I'm curious, actually, developing software. Was this an idea and then you had a team build for you? Do you have a background in building software? I'm just curious because that's like, that's a big thing. You know, people have ideas of wouldn't it be cool if there was something that could do this for you? And you've done that. What was that journey like? Yeah, so I think a powerful thing there is I actually have a background in building software. So you see a lot of people trying to start a software company. They don't have a background in software. And you're definitely fighting an uphill battle there where, you know, it's not just coming up with the idea. It's also implementing it. And then all these people I'm hiring. And it's very hard to tell either the right people and that sort of thing. So I kind of had the, you know, the, the superpower to be able to actually say, you know what, I'll just build the first version. It's in my head. I built it. And that was, you know, what was used for a while, actually, the software that I wrote. And then over time, it's kind of grown more than that, obviously. But yeah, it started off like that. And that's a very powerful thing because I hear all the time people that are not software folks saying, like you said, I have this idea. I want to build this. Yeah. Well, and I think it's one thing for, you know, an app, something that's, you know, but software, I mean, something that will people rely on this for their business to operate. You know, there's so many. And that just blows my mind. You know, people like you that have that kind of brain that... understands how to develop software. I think it's just, it's, it's amazing, but like, I'm always curious about that whole, like how long I'm sure you had, you have, and you will always have different versions and you keep upgrading and upgrading as, you know, as you can. And as things develop and you see what it is that your clients are really looking for and all of that, how long did it take for your first version? So it's funny because the way it was kind of built, it was never like a, it was never this big like splash of like, Hey, it's, you know, version one and it's a big launch and like, you know, you, you have the big scissors and you cut the ribbon and it opens and it goes in, you know, <laughs> like, and I feel like that's like a misconception with software. Everyone thinks you have to do this like, like launch. And that's kind of, again, like the, the thing people think of, but it's not really what happens a lot of time. It was built internally. It was used. So it was running for a long time before there was even a name spark shipping. So I knew it worked and it wasn't something like, like a big risky thing. Like, Oh, I'm going to launch this. I don't know. I know, you know, it was working internally. And then had a couple of consulting clients use it. So I was able to say, okay, like obviously helping other people. So it wasn't, there was never this big like thing that happened. It's just been this organic process built over time. And we've, you know, taken certain modules of it, certain components and rebuilt them piece by piece. So it's been rebuilt again and again over time, but there was never this one big day of lunch day sort of thing, yeah. which I feel like is a, a big misconception of software. Another thing actually, like all the time when I see people building software from the outside, and let's say you can't build software, right? You don't have a software background. You have to hire someone. You kind of, oh, the way a lot of people approach it is hiring like a contractor to help them rebuild it, remodel their kitchen, right? Where you go out, you find a contractor, they come to your house, rip out the kitchen, build a new one. Then at some time, someday they're done. They go home, you go back to your kitchen and you enjoy it for the next, you know, 10 years, whatever it is. The way software kind of works is developer comes in, starts the project they never finish and they never leave. Like it's like, it's going to go on forever at that point. So that kitchen will never be done. You'll be using the kitchen for the next 10 years, but they'll still be there adding more stuff and changing it. And it's going to be 
forever at that point. So software is kind of just like living, breathing thing. There's no real start. There's no real finish. It's kind of just moving forward. So I feel like that's definitely a misconception. I see a lot of people trying to launch their first software company get into. Well, you want to prove it first, right? That's what I would think. I mean, even, you know, us internally, we're, you know, we do, we're creating videos, we're creating marketing assets, or we're creating, you know, different things that we want to test first with clients that we have to make sure that it's actually that when we deliver it, it's going to be something awesome. And so you, you kind of want to have that, you know, period where you're letting people use it and, and see how it works for them so that you know what you might need to change or, you know, instead of just, boom, here we are. Doing that correctly helps you kind of build faster. So for instance, when we come up with new features a lot, we roll them out internally first. So we, you know, when we log in, we can see certain features that the average user in Spectrum doesn't have access to. So we're able to play around with them and kind of, we have a whole bunch of tools that we see internally. And then we start saying, I don't know, it's a little clunky. This doesn't make sense. Let's rewrite this. Let's kind of make this dialogue better. And after we kind of feel, okay, this is polished and it's, you know, it's ready then we make those available to a normal user. We've also done that on a per user basis. So we know some users have a very specific feature. Maybe it's not quite like prime time ready yet, but we're able to kind of roll it out, maybe to staff, maybe to a specific user or two, and kind of test it that way and start to understand, okay, this is exactly how this was supposed to work. Let's tweak it a little bit and do that with a subset of users and not just you know blast out to everyone. That's a cool thing you can do in software of kind of um, feature dating, certain things of saying, okay, only this section of users or whatever are going to have access to these features before you actually just, you know, a big bang and the lightning bolt comes down and they just appear on everyone's screen the next day. From growing, that's definitely something we had to get used to, right? Because at first when you have, you know, three users, you can just drop a new feature on and, <laughs> and you know, everyone gets it at once and it's no big deal. But once you start getting, you know, more and more users, you can't do that. So you have to be a little more sophisticated on that rollout process. And that's something that's a benefit of software. What have you found to be your most effective marketing tools? Let's see. So what we do is basically integrate A with B, right? A retail partner with a, a vendor partner. So we kind of sit in between. So we're able to work a lot with the on the retail partners and a lot with the vendor partners because it help, kind of helps everyone out. Yeah. Because if you're working with a specific shopping cart and you want to work with these five vendors, I mean, you could definitely, like we said, do that by hand. You could hire a developer. You could do all the stuff. You could... You can kind of fish, you know, wave through it yourself or someone like us just do it for you and be up and running in, you know, a tenth of the time. We have a good relationship with a lot of the vendors and a lot of the retail partners. So a lot of them are able to kind of recommend us, want us to come in because it helps every party. So it helps the users, helps the vendors, helps the retail side. So it's really one of those like unique things that helps everyone. And that's kind of been one of our big things that we do to help grow, just in between and be the piece of software that really kind of adds value on all sides. So different vendors recommend us, different retail partners recommend us, that sort of thing. Yeah, so relationships are super key for you. Yeah, relationships and just kind of building them over time and working with more and more retailers and then more vendors see us and it's kind of organically built that way. Yeah, no, that's awesome. On our show, there's so many people of different industries. And so it's so fascinating because I think that with any industry, there's always something that you're going to learn that you can implement within your own business. And oftentimes like today, you know, there's, there's different perspectives like, Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't think of it that way. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's one of those things, once you start thinking of kind of the terms of what to automate, like you were saying earlier, it gets easier and that's kind of snowballing. And it's, it's just a skill that kind of takes some developing of, okay, I have these processes and, you know, right now I'm doing them all internally. 
what can what, and then starting to look and every time you're spending time on something, looking and saying, are there software vendors that provide a solution for this? Is someone I can hire? Is it a full time person? Is it a ver- is it an assistant? Like, what is this person or a tool that can help me with this? And getting into that is definitely something that gets better over time and gets easier over time as you kind of go through the process. It's funny because we see a lot of first time folks go the other direction where they want to automate everything from the start, which is also almost like it's almost not a good thing. So you can go the opposite direction as well, which is funny of, you know, okay, I want this whole process just to kind of work without me. I don't want to touch anything, do anything. I just want it to kind of work. And that's kind of the opposite. So you have to, it's funny, whichever side you skew to, you kind of have to realize I should go a little more in the middle on this. Like if I'm trying to automate <laughs> too much. I should probably do some stuff myself. If I'm trying to do everything myself, I should probably start automating some things. Yeah. So it's one of those things, whatever side you naturally, uh, you know, sway towards, you should definitely try to look towards the other direction. I've definitely seen both extremes. That's very true. (laughs) For you as an entrepreneur, what are the things that you fill your brain with to make sure that you're always doing the best that you can do with your business and and with your team and, and keeping yourself strong and current and with it? I mean, one big thing, and I probably do it more than I don't know if I should or more than is average, but I definitely talk to customers, even current customers, prospects, but I definitely I'm just talking to people quite a lot. So like most of my day is literally spent on the phone and kind of just seeing what people are doing, their workflow, what are they doing today? What do they want to be doing? And just kind of hearing people's experiences, uh, even seeing the words they use, the terms, how they think of the process. That's really kind of helped kind of steer the product and giving me a better vision of what people need, basically. So it's not just sitting, you know, sitting in isolation thinking, like, what do people want? It's, you know, you talk to enough people and you start to have quite a few data points of I know this feature, you know, we build this, we have quite a few people that are ready to take this no matter what. So there's no, never a question of like, hey, I wonder if anyone will use this feature and we build it and it kind of just is a dud. It's one of those things where we have enough customers now, we have enough prospects where I'm able to just talk to people and get a really good sense of what people are looking for and also how people describe what they're looking for. Just because, you know, using kind of when you're marketing the product, when you're talking about it, when you're kind of saying, hey, we have this new feature, describing it the way users actually would describe it, I realize is kind of a, another big thing. Because the way internally you talk about it, or the way, you know, as a developer, you might talk about it, turns out it's totally wrong, right? So the way user actually talking about it is how you want to talk to them. And the only way you can actually find out is to talk to users, turns out. So just the more that you do as a business owner, I think the better and just allows you to be better off as developing a product, you know, working in your marketing and kind of just across the board, just getting a sense of what people want and what people need and what direction of things are going and that sort of thing. It's just so true. There's so many times people have built, they're coming up with something or a new service because they're like, yeah, this is really cool. It's funny how quickly it can change when you actually talk to your clients and your, you know, what they actually want. It'll yep. surprise you. It definitely will. It's, I've, I've seen it happening many times. And unfortunately, you know, people have spent a lot of money on something and then it turns out that that's not what they wanted. So really listening to your customers is like brilliant. I mean, that right there. And it applies to any business. Yeah. And it's also like listening and it's not just what people want, but trying to find out why they want it. Oh, of course. Yes. Right. Because there's always that thing, Henry Ford, you know, I build a faster, I want to build a faster horse sort of thing. Because a lot of people are saying, hey, this is what I want. But then there's always a question of like, why specifically? Like, what are you trying, like, not just what do you want, but what are you trying to accomplish? And how can I, you know, bring in our background as software folks and kind of our experience and say, oh, maybe like what you're asking for isn't even the right way of doing this. Maybe there's a better way of accomplishing that. 
And to that, being a software person, being having a developer background has definitely helped in that process as well. Just because, you know, I can start hearing these things and mapping out, even just scoping out difficulty or how big of a project is this or that sort of thing. Just so it's not as a uh, business owner going back to the developer and saying, how long will this take? And I'm realizing, you know, this one thing might be a two-day project, that one is a six-month project. So being able to kind of start assessing roughly in your own head of understanding, here's the scope, here's what this will take, here's a few different ways we can implement this. It's definitely been a, a powerful thing, being able to do that and then go back and talk to the team and say, hey, here's the problem. Here's what I'm thinking. Any other ideas? Does this, does this seem like the best way? And really kind of talk about on that level of here's what we're trying to accomplish. What's the best way of doing this? I recently had an experience with a company who basically said, you know what? I don't think we are going to be able to do anything more for you. You guys are doing great on this. I think this type of service would be better. And it was a marketing tool. And I was like, you know, at first I was just like, wait, is this part of their sales process? They're doing the takeaway. What is it? What is it that they're trying to do? I'm already sold. But at the end of the day, they still went out of their way to make sure that we had the right solution. And I was so impressed by that. And they didn't take any money from us. Yet I'm now thinking, oh, my gosh, I want to refer so many people to them because I think it's such a great service. It might not be right for us, but I know so many people would be right for. And I think that it's important to have to tell clients as much as you want the business to sometimes say, you know what, we're not going to be the right fit for you. And you've developed so much trust. And, you know, we all know that referral is such a great way to get new business because they sell it for you. <laughs> but um, I think that's just such a great point to make instead of, you know, sometimes you can try to make things work, but if it's not a right fit, it's not a right fit. And you, you gain so much more respect for your business by saying no sometimes. Actually thinking of yourself as I'm trying to, you know, not be the salesperson. I'm trying to actually help and be the sales consultant in the actual like sense of the word. I'm just trying to find out what your problem is and trying to help guide you in the right direction. It definitely helps because then you also can talk to people about, oh, what are, you know, what are the folks you're looking at? You know, here are their strong points, here are eyes. Maybe you're better suited for those folks. So there's definitely a lot of stuff you can do there. And as soon as you kind of start helping, basically the goal is to start helping people, hearing what they want and seeing, you know, if you fit and if not, you know, where you should kind of uh, recommend them. Definitely uh, is a pretty strong thing to do. I think we've gotten so many great takeaways on this interview. I appreciate it so much. Super stoked for you and, and your business. That's got to be just so rewarding to develop something like this and see how it's impacting other businesses. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of fun journey. And, uh, you know, it's great being able to build the kind of business that I, I want to work at and come in every day and actually doing this. So, exactly. I, That's the dream. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty cool. So definitely. Thank you. It's been great chatting with you. Though. This has been a uh, it's been nice. It's been so fun. And uh, I want to let our listeners know where they can find um, more information on you. Sparkshipping.com. We will provide a link to that. Is there anything else that I can share with our listeners or is that the best place to go? Yeah. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, like you said, sparkshipping.com. My direct email, if you want to email me, is just charles at sparkshipping. I like to keep that simple. Yeah. So check out any one of those and I can give you all the links and if anyone wants to reach out or if you do an e-commerce, have any questions, definitely, uh, you know, ping me and I'm happy to chat. Fantastic. And we'll provide all of that in our show notes, blog post, social media, all that good stuff. Thank you so much, Charles. Awesome. Thank you. It was good chatting with you. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. 
your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests. 